0: Welcome to the Tea with Bree. I'm your host Bree. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Bree podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro into how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I am joined by my guest Ash Hall. Ash Hall who uses they/them pronouns. is a native Houstonian who became involved in social justice advocacy in Texas a decade ago. After discovering their own queer identities and finding community with others facing oppression, they went on to graduate with a BA in psychology from the University of Texas at Austin in 2013. Ash's previous work includes Representative Celia Israel's campaign, the Gay and Lesbian Victory Fund, Equality Texas, and Representative Victoria Niave's legislative team. Today, they serve as the digital coordinator for the Texas Civil Rights Project, the Democratic Precinct Chair for Precinct 242, and as the chair of TCDP's Legislative Work Group Committee. Ash is committed to reaching justice for all marginalized communities and changing cultural norms in favor of compassion and equity. Hello, Ash. Hello. So excited to have you here on this beautiful Saturday morning.
1: Uh, Likewise, happy to be
0: here we've been trying to schedule this forever and it's finally happening and I'm very excited so here we are excited too um I'm trying to think how we first met it had to be I think at an NLC event maybe like a year or two ago I think it was we, have we only been friends for a year I know it feels two. much longer. it's been two we met in 2019 it's been two okay you're right. almost two you're right I was like it can only be a year but yeah, I'm really excited to have you in to talk about this topic. As you know, I'm like a policy and civil, all the things nerd. And I feel like having you also be here to nerd out with me, it's very exciting. So um, today we're going to talk about the ledge LGBTQ policy and how to get involved. So I know in your bio, we talked a little bit about how you sort of found your footing and your way in but I would love to dive a little bit deeper into that I feel like getting involved in like the legislative process or working for campaigns is like like everything has to line up (laughs) for it to happen Um, so yeah I just want to kind of backtrack and how did you get into this work?
1: Yeah uh, it's interesting trying to pick a starting point for that story I guess uh, we'll start with how I made the wrong choice for where to go to college initially. I was on the waitlist for UT originally, and so I went to Baylor University for my first year of college.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It wasn't a great decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, the place was a uh, pretty homophobic, transphobic. Um, they were just they were just deeply problematic and unwelcoming yeah. in so many ways. And so by the time I got out of there, I was like traumatized and also like very angry mm-hmm. and I needed like an outlet to change things or I, I don't know. It just, it, it, felt too bad to not do anything. Yeah. So when I got to UT finally, one of the first things that I did was join a student group on campus that was focused on queer advocacy. And that was like the turning point for me. Uh, we ended up all deciding to go to the Equality Texas Lobby Day that year. And I don't think any of us had ever really done anything like that before. So I didn't really know what to expect, um, but there was a workshop that taught you what the legislature is like, how to talk to legislators, um, what kind of bills were up for debate, that sort of thing. And I kind of fell in love with it. There was just there was something really satisfying about sitting down and talking to different kinds of people and like getting a sense for where folks were on the issues. and. Yeah, even though that was only supposed to be for a day, I did not stop uh, coming back to the Capitol after that. (laughs) Yeah, I ended up befriending people in these offices and trying to help them pass bills and the like. And yeah, so that ended up going on for years. In fact, it never really ever stopped. Uh, As for campaigns, that actually happened kind of separately from the legislative work. I had graduated college and I was struggling to get into like a DC nonprofit job. I had very lofty goals at the time, Um, but time went on and it was very difficult to break in. And so I turned to some folks I'd done an internship with and asked them if they had any advice. And they said, well, there's this Latina lesbian running for state representative uh, in your city uh, why don't you go and see about working on her campaign? And that was Celia Israel. And I started out as a canvasser. And then a couple months later, I was her field director. And then she went on to win and has since stopped a lot of really bad legislation from passing. And so I consider that one of the nicest things that I've done for Texas was getting her into that <laughs>
0: position. I, I would agree. Yes. Um, I also want to talk about like, what is lobbying? I feel like so much stuff happens in the legislature but none of us know until it's too late and I don't think that's done on accident like if we look at when lobbying like what time it takes place where it takes place how daunting it is for people how do people lobby what does it mean to lobby um so just like I want to like break this down (laughs) completely for folks who maybe have never even heard of it or are looking to get more civically engaged I know for me I'm I just started another show with my friend Kelsey where we're going to talk about the Texas ledge. And so we've all, we've, we both know like nothing. So we're trying to bring in experts and know more because we know it's super important. It's the 87th ledge for the, for Texas. But yeah, there's just, I feel like even as a person who is, very civically and politically nerdy there's still so much i don't know um so i can't even imagine for folks who are just like really getting into it what that means and how daunting that can be so all of that to be said let's break down some terms
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely it's funny my um my mentor from equality texas literally had like two or three slides in his uh texas legislature presentation about what lobbying is and uh the first slide would show um like this rich looking person, like white dude uh, dressed up with a cigar dangling out of his mouth. And he's like, this is what most people think a lobbyist looks like, right? And then he would go on to break it down. And I always thought that was funny, because I do think that is still kind of the conception of lobbyist and lobbying, right? Mm -hmm. All it really means is that you are talking to somebody who has power to change something in the law uh, and you're trying to change their mind or get them to vote a certain way that's really all it is i usually end up calling it legislative advocacy because i feel like that's a little bit easier for people to grasp but yeah Yeah. to me those two words those two phrases uh they're synonyms Hmm. lobbying is just trying to affect change with people that have power to do so on a higher level
0: love that okay so a bill is on the floor what happens to it (laughs) because i feel like there's because like even just me, I just started a job with Austin Justice Coalition, as you know, and they have this Slack channel where we talk about um, education. And so this one person just posted like all of the education bills that are on the floor right now. Um, so like I know the process of like getting a bill to the floor, but like then what happens here? Like I people have to vote on it. Do people lobby for it or against it? Questions, just all the questions. Yeah. Okay. So let's back
1: up a little bit. At this point in the session, there are no bills on the floor. There's a number of things that happen first before a bill can get there. We say that a bill is on the floor, we mean that it is being spoken about in the chamber that has all of the officials in it. Mm -hmm. What happens initially is a bill gets filed, um, and from there, it gets read for the first time on the floor. We're not even at that point yet because we've only just got a speaker, we've just gotten the rules for both chambers and we're waiting for committee assignments on the House side. Once committees are set, it's gonna be easier for us to start referring bills to committee. And so that's the first time those bills will be on the floor. They'll just be read and assigned to a committee. So that's just a smaller group of legislators who actually get to hear from the public on a number of different bills and get their input, and then we'll vote on whether or not that bill should move along in the process. So it's funny because then the path diverges a bit between the House and the Senate, our two chambers. In the Senate, um, a bill passes committee, and then the lieutenant governor and the number that he sets for legislators to be able to decide on whether or not this happens, uh, they get to decide if a bill comes to the floor on the Senate side for what's called the second reading. On the House side, if a bill passes committee, it gets sent to another committee called the Calendars Committee, uh, where no public input happens, but there are a number of legislators there who decide together when a bill is going to come to the House floor for the second reading, which is actually very convenient for people like me that like to kill a lot of bills because it's just one more step in the process where I can hopefully help stall it and it will die. So once a bill gets to second reading, that's usually when you'll hear people say that it's on the floor, because what happens on second reading is that's the first time the entire chamber gets to debate that bill. Um, You'll see people file amendments, you'll see people uh, get into really heavy debates, the list goes on. And yeah, it it gets real intense from that point. A lot of things can happen. But basically, if it passes at that point, usually there's a 24-hour period or so that it basically sits in there. And then third reading will happen the next day. And that there's usually not a whole lot of debate. Uh, If it's a particularly contentious bill, you'll see some legislators give a speech on it. Uh, But generally, uh, if a bill has passed second reading, it almost always passes third reading. And so once that happens, uh, it's considered passed by that chamber and gets sent over to the other side where it then goes through the same process and if it passes both chambers um, and it's relatively intact, uh, as, as in about the same as it was in the other chamber, uh, it goes ahead and it gets into the governor's desk and then he makes the final call on if it becomes law. If it's been heavily amended in one chamber but not the other, it goes to another committee where they have to decide which version of the bill is, uh, is gonna be the one that goes to the governor's desk. And if they can't decide in time, the bill dies. Um, yeah, I think that I think I covered just about everything there.
0: <laughs> I have so many words. I just feel. <laughs> First of all, I don't trust Governor Abbott worth anything, so I'm just always like
1: you shouldn't. You absolutely shouldn't trust him.
0: I don't. So step one, step two. I did not realize there was like. I always feel like things happen so quickly because I feel like the ledge is only in session for what six? No six months am I making this up
1: just about it's 140 days
0: yeah so I just feel like everything moves so quickly and then it's over and you're like okay see y'all in two years you're like oh okay great but to hear there's like so many essentially like rounds that this bill has to go through before it is passed is fascinating so that's why I'm like my brain feels like it's been lied to (laughs) for for the last few years but it's fine
1: yeah it's a interesting thing that I I'll teach people about this sometimes, but our legislature is actually designed for most bills to die um, oh. because the clock is constantly ticking. And that's an important thing I should have mentioned about the process. As the bill is moving through these, if it doesn't hit a certain part of the process by a certain date, it's automatically dead. And like that's the way that I end up killing most of the bills that I am fighting is I find ways to run out the clock.
0: Oh, OK yeah so is i feel like i don't know anything now talking to you which is fine um so okay. ask all the questions so it, so each bill has a certain amount of time essentially is what you're saying so is yes. this like so i don't know why but um this might not be related at all but i keep thinking about when wendy davis had her filibuster is this that yes it is
1: yes Good job.
0: <laughs> thank yeah, you yeah that was
1: That is a last ditch effort that legislators have for running out the clock and killing a bill.
0: Mm -hmm. I just feel vindicated (laughs) that I.
1: That was awesome. That's what that was about.
0: So we've talked ledge, we've talked bills. Let's talk political campaigns. How do people get to this? Like, so Wendy Davis was Senator.
1: Yes. Wendy Davis.
0: Okay. And. So is it all senators who are on the floor fighting the ledge bills for us?
1: So a few things here. Okay. So our elected officials, they don't lobby, even though in some cases they're kind of I doing do. the same thing that we are. Um, it's not its not lobbying because they're on equal footing with each other. Got it. Okay. So we just call that debating, basically. Debate.
0: Great.
1: Um, and yeah, it won't ever be all of them uh trying to help us it's actually you know pretty divisive stuff most of the time great it'll usually just be a number of them speaking in favor or against a bill and like back and forth uh between the bill author and a number of people who either you know agree disagree have amendments etc so that's usually what that looks like okay uh, in both chambers
0: now i have a serious question for you You're doing all this great work. The world is your oyster. Do you think you'll ever run for office? I would actually like to be a state representative. What do state reps do?
1: So that's the bigger of the two chambers in the Texas legislature, it's 150 people. Mm -hmm. I like it more than the Senate, even though the terms are shorter, I'd have to run for reelection basically every other year. But I like it better because of the two chambers, it's more cooperative between the parties. Uh, So there's a lot more respect given to the minority party, which is the one I would be in. Mm -hmm. And there's, I think, more care taken by both parties there in considering what is actually best for Texas. Mm -hmm. And so that's the kind of energy that I would want to surround myself with when trying to decide what kind of rules we should all be living by. On the Senate side, it's kind of more abusive i think is the way that i would describe it mm. you have both parties there but dan patrick is such a bully He changes the rules every session to make sure that democrats are unnecessary for bringing bills to the floor he doesn't really like working with them it's kind of miserable i have a very deep respect for our senators because i can't imagine going through that mm-hmm. day after day um somehow they do uh but yeah, I would want to be on the house side where there's a lot more collaboration.
0: I just feel like you should run for office. So this was a, this was more of a selfishly asked question. So here we are. Hey. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. You're you're welcome. Um yeah, I've been a fan of you for a long time, obviously, since I first came across you and basically internet stalked you. It's fine. Um, and so watching you the last like two years like really, really grow and do other great things, and you switching jobs and going to other really great places. And it's like, I want Ash to run. I just want to vote for it. I want to just vote for Ash Hall one year on a ballot. So Thank make you. our make our dreams come true, Ash. Gosh, not asking for a lot here. I'm just saying. We'll see. Um, there's things that I'm waiting on, right?
1: There's two different ways that it could happen relatively soon.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: one would be for my current state representative to decide to run for something else, mm-hmm. uh, which I support her in doing whatever she wants because she's amazing. It's Representative Gina Hinojosa. Uh, I would take a bullet for that woman. Bless her, honestly, yeah. Yeah. The other way is we're supposed to be focusing on redistricting this year, which is the process of changing all of our political districts. Austin is pretty well poised to pick up a seat or two because our population has exploded so much. Mm -hmm. If I happen to be drawn to a district that's brand new then there would need to be an election to fill that seat. So that's the other way that it could happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed with redistricting, if I can get it out. I, I didn't real I, I mean, I knew how bad it was, but I didn't think, I don't think I really understood until this past year when like Julie Oliver was running and Wendy Davis was running and um, Mike Siegel was running. And like talking to a friend who actually lived in Mike Siegel's district, and we were like looking at what it was shaped like. And I'm I'm a little bit like a little bit more politically inclined than she is. And even then, we were like talking. She's like, I had no idea that this person's been in the seat for decades, essentially. And just seeing how Texas itself is drawn, <laughs> and why it's no surprise that like essentially Democrats can't win with the way it is drawn right now like I think Wendy's district went down like into like Houston and Julie's district like went up and through Colleen and I was just like the way that Texas is drawn is just disgusting and unrealistic and and also just like so large like to think about how big Texas is but you want all these people to do all these things in places where they technically don't really live like yeah they live in these districts but they're if like for example if Julie is living here in Austin but has to worry about stuff in Colleen that's like an hour drive like she doesn't have a real you know so even hearing about about those things and just how ridiculously drawn these maps are and how unrealistic it is for our representatives to know what is going on in the day-to-day lives of people who live all stretched out within their districts
1: yeah gerrymandering it's the poison (laughs) to democracy and yeah uh If you look at the way Austin has been drawn right now, you'll notice that we have multiple districts uh, all over the place here that just span out away from us in a bunch of different directions, and that's intentional, um, partially to dilute communities of color and their political power, Mm -hmm. partially to dilute the student vote as well, and then, of course, the progressive vote as a whole, so we have been... Chopped up into a bunch of different districts, and then those districts are then they're they're full of um, folks who would not vote the way that we yeah. would, and that's how we end up with no Julie Oliver and no Wendy Davis, and you'll see the same trend when you look across Texas, um, especially if you look for places that are heavily um, people of color. Uh, you'll you'll see these districts suddenly. Um, the lines make a sharp diversion over and it'll like cut a city in half Mm -hmm. it's very intentional and there used to be a federal block against it through the voting rights act basically you could sue the state government for drawing maps that were racially discriminatory as many of them in texas Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. and uh you would go ahead and take that through the system and ultimately federal courts would make a decision on whether or not it violated the voting rights act and the maps would be redrawn yeah unfortunately a couple years ago um back when it was all republicans (laughs) um the voting rights act got gutted in congress um so pieces of it still remain but part of it was taken out and that part was the 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 part that says that there's federal oversight over the maps that the states draw. So that means now that people can go ahead and gerrymander and they're not really going to get in trouble for it, which is why redistricting this year is particularly important Mm -hmm. because it's going to be the first time where we haven't had a check like that for the entire process.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just think about like, you know we just watched Georgia turn blue and everyone's like Texas is next and I'm like not if we I think we can get there because I feel like a lot of people from other states are moving here 100% yes but also I'm like even like you were just saying even if all these progressive people live here they still keep diluting our votes so it's like are we ever going to get to a point where our vote is actually like the majority vote in this state that is specifically drawing districts that makes it difficult for progressive votes to win so that's that's one of the many things that keeps me up at night when i can't sleep I'm like i just wonder what they're doing about gerrymandering so if i may offer some hope you may something that stands out to me is that
1: redistricting last happened 10 years ago um republican controlled mm-hmm. and we were never supposed to pick up any power over the next 10 years because the seats were politically gerrymandered in addition to some racial gerrymandering, mm-hmm. which just means that it's harder for Democrats to have power. Um, we were never supposed to gain any seats. Uh, we were never supposed to become competitive. And yet look what's happened to us in the last 10 years. Despite the entire arena literally being drawn against us, we've picked up a lot of power in the State House, we've gained enough seats in the Texas Senate that the Lieutenant Governor keeps having to change the rules. Um, We have competitive congressional races. Despite everything, the shift keeps coming back to a more progressive direction. And I just feel that it is a matter of time before it's just going to be too late no matter how they draw the maps, they're not gonna be able to avoid the destiny of this state. And frankly, I do think that it's going to be something that is more progressive, more moderately progressive. So that's the hope that I have to offer is that none of what we've experienced, especially in the past two to four years, was ever supposed to happen,
0: but it did. Yeah, you're right, I know. Also, you're gonna run for office, so it makes me happier. But yeah, I just, I mean, even just, I tell people like I've been into politics since I was 10 or 11, whenever the Gore-Bush election was, that's like when I first (laughs) got really into politics and have followed local up to presidential elections, basically my whole life. Um, So being very into like city council stuff, and especially here in Austin, we have a 10 or where we have a 10-1 and knowing the people who sit in these seats and I just moved to Greg's district- in October, obsessed with him. Um, But now, you know, to see that they're trying, essentially trying to get the mayoral election either lined up with the presidential election or there's like a special, there's a special election this May for some reason that someone was messaging me about. And so I just always think about like, if folks aren't paying attention and how like difficult politics can be and how they don't want people who are low income people of color people who are marginalized to or at least it feels this way they don't want them slash us to know when these things are taking place and that we have a right to say something and that's why that's why I'm like obviously like everyone's really into voting but I'm like super into voting because it's like the only chance we actually get to essentially fire these people who don't represent us so that's my tangent about politics right now which is like I just want everyone to have access in in pieces that are digestible for them that they understand things in super layman's terms and I think that's there's this account called the Austin Common which like just tells you what's going on in the city um I can't remember her name right now but she does a really great job of like making all these infographics of what is coming up and how to support things and and when to vote and what what the things on the ballots mean and like things like that like just making it super accessible for folks to understand
1: yeah no that's awesome um and what you're saying is a big reason why i became a precinct chair actually because that role is all about getting your neighbors involved in elections uh getting them registered to vote getting them involved with the party that you represent and then getting them to the ballot box Mm. so that is a way that folks can plug in on a deeper level if they're wanting to make sure that more people are participating. Um, and usually that just means reaching out to the, um, the party in your area and asking them about whether or not there's a vacancy in your neighborhood. And I mean, even if there isn't, you can volunteer with your precinct chair and like still talk to voters and still spread the word. So shameless plug, that that's a thing you can do
0: shameless plug yeah I mean even knowing what a precinct chair is and what they do is super important and I don't think I I knew what it was but I didn't really know until you became one again thank you um (laughs) because it's just like all these things that we don't know exist until like one of our friends are involved or someone you know does they're like oh what does a precinct chair do so yeah I just want I just want everyone to be inclined to care and I think that's why we saw Georgia turn blue I think that's why you know with Beto running for senator yes thank you my brain can't Mm thank you my brain can't think back that far it's like 16 years now um Mm -hmm. um but seeing him run for senator and then run for president and then him bowing out of that and him starting his um, nonprofit power to the people of like just getting people registered to vote and knowing the importance of voting and we saw this with Stacey Abrams shout out to her uh, of just like taking these opportunities of like losing your race to come back and and see why we lost this race is because not only was it stolen which I digress from today um, but just knowing that people didn't know what it meant to be registered the, their voter rights like all these different things again that that keep marginalized people from taking office and you know this past year with 45 losing his re-election and him saying that the election was unfair and him basically dismantling or trying to dismantle the act of voting that's been around for ever since our country became a country but it's just so interesting of like how communities of color and marginalized folks are kept from voting constantly But the one time we actually like figure out how to get our voices heard now it's now it's rigged now it's, you know, it's not safe it's all these different things but when you know all these voter suppression things were going on no one saw the problem and don't get me wrong voter suppression has been happening since. Voting first became a thing between, you know, only white men who owned property or might, white men who had a certain amount of, of power could vote. And like we've seen over time how it's changed to the everyone. But, you know, even now, people who were previously incarcerated can't vote. People who, you know, there's just all these different things that make it so impossible for everyone to actually have the right to vote. And yeah, it's just been interesting seeing essentially what a sore loser 45 was which he shouldn't have been president anyway because he lost the popular vote, but I digress. And But, you know, here we are. That's yeah. my tangent.
1: <laughs> and I, I feel I must give you the heads up that he's not the only sore loser we have to worry about. Mm. Um, apparently, there are a lot of uh, Republicans in the state legislature that are also feeling pretty angry that the rules didn't work in their favor, So there have been bills filed this session that would make it harder for a lot of people to vote. And, you know, it's mostly voters of color who would uh, be impacted by it. Mm -hmm. Voters of color, students, people with disabilities. So that fight is coming too. I'm not excited about it, but the bright side is this happened a little bit last session too. And there was such a public outcry against it that we defeated the worst of the bills Mm -hmm. the question then is really just going to be how hard will the republicans fight for it this time and i am not sure but it's i think it's going to be harder this time
0: i think for me it's just the irony of like the republicans who lost say it was rigged but the republicans who won say that the system is fair
1: yeah, that's kind of their thing. It's just like, whatever benefits us is the correct thing.
0: Yeah, like, so the other day when 45 was being impeached, the my friend and roommate, Shelby, we lived together. So we were watching CNN as we worked. And just hearing how the moderates or the Republicans or the right used people protesting this summer for Black Lives Matter to kind of try to validate the people who attacked the Capitol. I wish someone recorded us just yelling all day. Like it was just us screaming of like them saying that, you know, folks who are out here trying to protect the rights of Black people from being murdered was just as violent as the folks who stormed the Capitol. And just how still, not surprised, but how still this country tries to keep the folks who are just fighting to survive down. And I mean, we saw this in the video of like how they treated the people who stormed the Capitol versus like everyone knows if it was black people, queer people, other people of color who stormed that Capitol, it would have been a way different story and people seeing the white privilege and you know some folks being shocked and it was this thing on black twitter that was going around of like none of us are shocked this is the america we live in and we know it very well um just i think a lot of people thought that conservative whites or trump supporters or conservatives period would never degrade the u.s capital like that and i was saying to people I'm like they literally stole and pillaged land and kept black people in slavery for 400 years so literally nothing surprises me so yeah, yeah. this this is in line with history <laughs> yeah i'm not shocked at all um yeah so yeah it's just been i know that joe biden and kamala harris being sworn into office is a step in the right direction but i am telling people like the work isn't done yet we still need to pay attention there's still going to be all these people who believe that Biden's going to ruin the country. And while I understand the sentiments of coming together, we've seen the last four years of how they weren't willing to come together, but now they expect the left to be very giving and forgiving and cooperative. And I'm just like annoyed by it. So that's a longer tangent about politics that I could talk about for days. Cause I, I want to run for office eventually but I don't know what I want to run for. Oh, we can we can definitely
1: explore that together. Oh I can't think of a number of places <laughs> where you would be a great fit. Great.
0: I'm rooting for you. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Ash. Just imagine if we both won like whatever we both run for, we just be like, hey. <laughs> That's what I want. I think for me, it's just like, I want to have the most impact, but I don't know what spot that would be for me. And there's like a lot of times I can talk myself out of running for things like i feel like i can't be a state rep because i'm not from texas which i know is like a a internalized thing i know the face thank you but i feel like as a person who's not like a native texan i don't have the right to run for state rep of texas
1: no that's just not true i mean there's lots of people who brag about being a whatever fifth generation texan or whatever Mm. um i think Frankly, depending on your family's history, that's not necessarily a good thing. True. okay, white people. That said, I don't think that that should matter. Like, who cares where you were born, really? Like, it's not like that was a defining moment for you and how, you know, that didn't shape you as a person. You were Mm -hmm. too young. True. Um, What matters is how involved and invested you are in where you are now. And like do you know your neighbors are you really plugged in and like trying to figure out what we can solve together how we can make each other's lives better easier uh, more meaningful that's what really matters that's 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 what running for office is about
0: yeah you know well I thank you so much for chatting with me for informing us on all the different things we need to know about when learning what ledge means and all the information you shared with us today. So I'll be sure to link all your stuff in the show notes. But as you know, at the end of every episode, I like to end with a palate cleanser question, which is <laughs> what is the best advice you were ever given? Or what is a piece of advice you would give your younger self?
1: Ooh, that is a really good question. Thank you. <laughs> I think maybe the advice that I would have given my younger self would have been about trusting myself more and taking the time to learn how to do that Mm. I ended up very far behind in a lot of ways because I did not have that for myself for a long time so I think I would tell my younger self to to work on that and just to kind of give them a heads up that, like, at some point, you do actually stop caring so much about what everybody thinks. And eventually, you learn how to narrow things down to caring about who the important people in your life are and what they think. And
0: the sooner you, know, you can get started on that, the better. That's it for this week's episode of The Tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Tea with Brie. Send me an email at theteawithbree at gmail.com and visit the website at the23podcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music and I will talk to y'all next week. Bye.